Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. All right, welcome, boys and girls, guys and gals, moms and dads, all you prosperity people around the world. Something extra special today because we have an extra special guest star. So this is going to be a, a, the newest podcast, Power Prosperity Podcast, but I'm also running the video, as you guys watching can see, and I'm going to put it up on Prosperity TV. So the podcast, I made a decision when I started it that I wasn't going to conform to some specific thing that most people just interview others and that's their thing. Every episode, they have a different interviewer, you know, person they interview and the same questions. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to get tied down to that. I'd rather, I kind of like the podcast being more me, a conversation, me and the listener. Uh, but when I've got somebody who's really brings amazing value in the area of prosperity and success and mindset, then I love to get them on and, and do a longer form interview. And that's what we're doing today. Because today, I have a dear friend for, man, like since the 90s, <laughs> uh, where we met, we're both professional speakers. I'm happy to say we're both now in the Speakers Hall of Fame because he was inducted last year. Uh, we're both authors and uh, just good friends from the Miami area. Mr. Bob Berg is my friend and guest for you guys. So welcome, Bob. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Randy, I appreciate you greatly. And hey, congratulations on the uh, quick and, and fast and immense success of your new book. That is awesome. It is. It's, it really is doing great. I'm really happy about it. So yeah. uh, it, it is wonderful. Yeah, it is. There it is. Look at this good. See what I mean? This guy's a good friend. He even holds up <laughs> and builds your book for you. <laughs> I love it. So Bob has got, is it eight books? Maybe nine if you count the journal. How many have you uh, authored or co-authored? Something like that. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Um, but a big part of them is a series which yeah. began with a book called The Go-Giver. And there's been several iterations after that, Go-Givers Sell More, Go-Givers for Leaders. And the latest one, which I think is everybody in, every entrepreneur needs to read. It's a great uh, thing to gift to a high school student or a college student graduating. Uh, it's called the Go-Giver Go Influencer. And... Bob has done a lot of work in influence um, with salespeople, with business people, and just personal development in general. Uh, and this Go-Giver series, which he's co-authored with a, a mutual friend of ours called named John David Mann, has become a movement, really, uh, around the world and spun off all kind of things. So maybe let's start with that. For somebody who's not familiar with it, what is a go-giver? What does that mean? So a, a go-giver basically is someone who has learned, or maybe they always intuitively knew, that shifting your focus, and this is really the key, shifting your focus from getting to giving. Now, when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value 
to others. And understanding that not only is that a, a pleasant way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. Not for some way, way, you know, way out there woo-woo reasons. It totally taps into human nature. Uh, you know, I often say, Randy, when I speak at a sales conference, I'll begin by saying, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, right? They're not going to buy from you because you need the money. And they're not even going to buy from you because you're a really nice person who believes in what you do. They're going to buy from you because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And so being a go-giver has nothing to do with being anybody's doormat or a martyr or uh, some self-sacrificial type of thing. Not at all. Not at all. It's just tapping into human nature. And it, it feels good to do it, but it is the way to conduct business in a free market. And when I say free market, I simply mean where no one's forced to do business with you. You must focus on that other person. I mean, it just makes rational, logical sense. Focus on that other person, they're much more likely to buy into you and your message. So I know people often get confused and they think that you're, you're talking about this in just an altruistic or a charitable way. What's the misconception on that and how would you clear it up? Well, it, you know, of course, we love charity. It's a high value. It's something we believe in. But that's not the same as being a, a go-giver. That's being a giver, and that's wonderful, again. Uh, but that's not what being a go-giver is. You might say, well, go-giver, does that mean they don't care about making money or don't care about profit? No, a go-giver tends to be very profitable. Why? Because when they sell, they're not selling on low price. They're not giving away the store. They're selling by creating such a, an immensely value-based experience. For the buyer, they're actually a go-giver tends to be on the upper rung uh, when it comes to price. And it's understanding the difference between price, which is a dollar figure, it's finite, and value, which is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something, to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, Your, this product, this service, this opportunity, this philosophy, this whatever it happens to be, that brings so much worth to another human being as they understand it to be of value that they're totally willing to exchange their time or their money or their opportunity cost or what have you in order to attain this value. And of course, both of you make a profit. And as Harry Brown, what a hero to you and a hero to me, uh, you know, who uh, he used to say, and I used to love this when he'd say in a free market, um, any, there's always in a free market based exchange, there are always two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits because both of them come away better off afterwards than they were before. Yeah, and uh, Harry Brown, you guys gotta Google him if you, if you don't know him. That's Brown with an E, if I remember, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Harry Brown. So he was actually a, a libertarian candidate for president, for president. Uh, yeah. some years back, mm -hmm. but a brilliant guy. And uh, oh. I got the chance to meet him at uh, Freedom Fest or one of those probably, kind of yeah. things. Just. Mm -hmm. the, just a, what a brilliant guy. Oh, he was. And, the, you know, the nicest guy. It was said Harry was never in an argument with anyone in his life. And I can, I can believe it because Harry wouldn't have put the energy into arguing with someone, right? <laughs> but he was, yeah. so, you know, but he was such a, a, a brilliant guy and he had a deep 
understanding of and respect for human nature. You know, and and because of that, he was a wonderful salesperson, as well as a great economist, a uh, great political persuader. You know, I always say he's the man who should have been president. And I and I remember once, uh, you know, I I was doing a fundraiser for him. He ran back in '96 and in 2000. In 2000, he was down here in Florida. I was doing a fundraiser for him, and so we walked into a local restaurant to have lunch. It was just a, a lunch place, uh, and and I remember I walked in and it's a crowded place and no one said anything. And I'm thinking, you know, I am in here walking with the person who should be, pre the, the liberty, you know, all 50 states, he was on the ballot. It's not like, mm -hmm. you know, some, uh, but the man who should be president, not one person knew who he was. Yeah, what a shame. Yeah, what a shame. But he left some brilliant work behind yes, and it's worth for you guys who wanna see. And this is why I asked Bob to be on because you guys who are long-term podcast listeners or Prosperity TV, you know, I'm always talking about the way you create wealth is you add value and you solve problems. And if we spin it a little deeper, we can say you see possibilities. But of course, the possibilities that you see are additional or new or innovative ways to solve problems and add value. And I think there's a lot of commonalities between the principles of the go-giver and the principles of prosperity. So any thoughts on that that you would uh, uh, riff on for the, the lovely folks at home? <laughs> well, for uh, two, two aspects of that, actually. One is one of my favorite sayings of yours that I've, I've tweeted quite a bit is, uh, and pardon me if I get a word or two of this wrong, I don't think so, but where you say you don't have a money problem, you have a value creation issue. And I say, and I, and I, uh, okay, the, the, if we're going to, the quote is, you, nobody really has a money issue. They have a, nobody really suffers from a lack of money. They suffer from a lack of ideas. Ideas. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I took that and messed it up. But the same bit, you know, but the same premise, and that's really, you know, what it is. Now, law five is the law of receptivity. And that's all about abundance and being able to accept that abundance because one of the in the in the story pindar the mentor says to joe you know joe breathe out and hold that outgoing breath to the count of 30. well joe tries but within about you know 10 seconds he's struggling for air and pindar says what's the matter joe can't do it and joe says no i can't just breathe out i've got to also breathe in and Pindar jokingly said, well, Joe, what if I was to tell you it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe laughed. He said, silly. He said, I can't do it. You've got to do both. Aha, right? We breathe out. We breathe in. We breathe out, which is carbon dioxide. We breathe out carbon dioxide. We breathe in oxygen. We breathe out, which is giving. We breathe in, which is receive it. Now, here's something, and I bring you up. I, I think I mention you at every single program I do when I'm going through the five laws from the go-giver, because I, I talk that they need to get your blog and your podcast and your, your TV show and, and all your books and everything, because they do have to. We all have to. I have to. And um, the messages that we receive, as you've talked about, right? And I say they're not mixed messages that we get from society about, about prosperity. They're not mixed. They're negative. They're totally right. negative, okay? Right. And we get those. So, so people would think, well, giving and receiving are opposite concepts. And I say, no, they're not. They're not opposite concepts. They're simply two sides of the very same coin. 
It's not, are you a giver or a receiver? That's the treacherous dichotomy or what we call the false dilemma, the unnecessary use of the word or. Uh, you know, it's like when you were, I don't know if you ever heard this when you were growing up, I know I did and most people have. Hey, when you get older, do you wanna be wealthy or happy? Right. Such a negative question. That's like when you talk. Yeah, well, exactly. It's a false premise. And it's like when you talk about um, uh, when you quote the first Spider-Man movie, uh, Gentle Uncle Ben, a great guy, a a wonderful guy taking care of of Peter Parker. And he says to young Peter, we may not be wealthy, we may not be rich, but at least we're honest. Yeah. So what's the, the implied premise? What's the presupposition that if you're honest, you're not wealthy. And if you're wealthy, you're certainly not honest. Right. And so when I talk about um, the law of receptivity, yes, you begin with the giving. You focus on the giving. Money is an echo of value. If you're constantly providing value to others, okay, you set that motion for receiving, but you still got to be willing to accept it. Now, and then what I talk about a lot of times is my friend Randy Gage talks about all the the unconscious mind viruses that you know that we we willingly but of course not knowingly accept, which keeps us. It, we can be good at the giving part, but not the receiving part, whether it's worthiness issues or whether it's the you know whatever it happens to be. So I you know to me the go giver has everything to do with prosperity because if you're focused on the giving, okay and you've, you've earned the right to receive, not the, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, and I'm, I say it all the time, and I'm not remembering it, the, the right, not the, uh, when something's given as a, oh, forget it, the, uh, what is it, when we talk about the, it's a, Entitlement? Entitlement, uh, right, the right, not the entitlement to receive, the uh, right, uh, you have the right to receive, because you've earned that right, but you've got to be able to accept it. You've got to be able to receive it. And I, I think about this time when right after the book came out, uh, I was with my uh, bookkeeper at the time, Trina, and she was doing some work on the computer and she was, she was making notes with this pen. It, was a, you know, it wasn't a fancy pen, but it was a really neat. It had a great design on it. I, I kind of thought it was cool. So I said, Trina, where do you get that pen? I want to get one of those. She goes, oh, here, uh, take it. You have mine. I have plenty of them. I said, oh, no, no, I, I can't, you know, can't do that. She goes, no, really, it's, it's, I've got plenty. Just take it. I go, no, Trina, I can't take your pictures. Why not? Well, it's your pen. I couldn't take it. She said, you know, Bob, it's really a pretty simple two-step process. Number one, take the pen. Number two, say thank you. Now, I had just co-authored a book that came out where law number five was a law of receptivity. I like to think I'm pretty good when it comes to receiving. And yet, how often do those things just come into our head for no reason at all? And yet, because it's just how it is. So what I say is to people, we've got to constantly work on abundance thinking. And that's why I say to get your, you know, to, to religiously subscribe to your, your, your blog and your podcast and your YouTube. Why? Because we've got to get that consciously fed into our mind because we get the garbage all the time. We get the stories about Enron. We get the stories about Tycho. We get the stories about uh, uh, Volkswagen and their, um, falsifying their emissions record, uh, you know, uh, and those are- Yeah, it's coming out. They even did it again after they got caught. They were still, (laughs) and they knew that and everybody, and they still were doing that, I guess, in Europe. So that's- Yeah, 
in the, in the bank that, that where they were selling false. Uh, th- yeah, those happen. And, and by the way, typically those things don't happen in a free market. Typically those things happen based on cronyism uh, because that particular field or whatever has, has made donations to certain politicians. And so they're, they're able to operate under special rules and regulations. That cronyism should never be confused with free market capitalism where the, where basically, you know, everyone's playing by the same rules. And if you commit force or fraud, you go to jail and, and so forth. And of course, no one has to buy from you in that case. So you've got to please the, the marketplace. So there's just so much that is, that is, I think, confused in today's day and age about what prosperity is and what it means and, 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 and certain truths that, that, yeah, we've got to put that into our heads consciously because the garbage is already out there. Can you uh, run through some or all of the other four uh, uh, laws, the go-giver laws that uh, sure. for people who haven't read the book? Oh, yeah. Well, the first one, that law, the law of value, says to give more in value than you take in payment. And again, that's understanding there's a difference between price and value. Okay, so it's always that customer feels so great about that buying experience that they feel they received a lot more in value, and they did, than what they're paying while you make a very, very healthy profit. Law number two is the law of compensation. This says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives we touch with the exceptional value we provide, the more money with which we'll be rewarded. And of course, you know, the the people who you teach all the time in your major market is, you know, this is what they do. They're touching people's lives both directly and indirectly. But because their influence is able to spread, the value is able to spread. You could say, you know, exceptional value plus significant reach equals very high compensation. And that's so important. Law number three. Wait, before you go to three. So somebody's watching. They say, well, of course, there's two old white guys talking about giving value and getting compensation. The system is rigged for them. They don't know. They, they, you know, they don't know what I'm going through. How do I participate in this if I'm not a old, rich, white guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am getting old. You know, I mean, I make no, no doubts about that. <laughs> and I'm fine with it. Um, well, here's the great thing. The free market does not play favorites. The free market, right? again, we're talking free market, not cronyism, not where you have special advantages, rules, and regulations. The free market plays no favorites. It, it judges based on the value you provide to others. And I know too many people around the world of different colors, genders, races, uh, sexual preferences, um, I'm not sure what religions, who have made it very, very, very big, and those who haven't. And, you know, so uh, are there inherent advantages and being an old white guy i mean i think we've seen in society of course and there's been such horrors along the ways in many uh so let's in no way am i meaning to diminish that not at all but i'm saying that if someone is you know we had a conversation about this once on my podcast where we talked about the fact that you know when people want to say well no one's a victim there's no victim of course there are victims there are people that horrible things have happened to people they have nothing to do with, you know, a tsunami or, or 
being in a place where there's just such massive poverty and, and or a car, you know, hitting you while you're helping someone else. Right? I mean, they're victims. The question becomes, what are you going to do about it? Okay, are you going to stay in that victimhood or are you going to find a way to thrive, to do what you need to do in order to, you know, so I think that's really what it comes down to. And free enterprise, where everyone can create value, assuming they're in a, that type of environment, is what, is what levels the playing field and makes it so that anyone and everyone can thrive. Good. I want to go back. I, I want to explore this free enterprise versus socialism in a, in a couple of minutes. But first, let's, if you'll share laws three and four, and then maybe we'll jump back to this. Sure. Uh, law three is the law of influence. And the law of influence simply says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Again, not to be confused with their interests first, but not yours and or your sabotaging yourself. No, not at all. It's understanding that, you know, basically as Joe, the, the protege in the story learned from several of his mentors, the golden rule of business of sales. And I would say of free markets is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's simply no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by genuinely moving from that I focus or me focus to that other focus, looking for ways as Sam, one of the mentors advised Joe, to make your win all about the other person's win. That's just good business as well as, as good life. And then uh, law number four is the law of authenticity. And this simply says that the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. And in the story, one of the mentors, Deborah Davenport, shared a lesson she learned that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and of course they are all very, very important, but they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. Now, when you do, when you show up, as we like to say, as yourself, right, day after day, week after week, month mm -hmm. after month, People feel good about you. They feel secure with you. They feel safe with you. They begin to know you. They like you. They love you. They trust you. They're much more likely to want to be in a relationship with you. They're much more likely to want to do business with you. They're much more likely to feel very comfortable referring you to others. And you know, Randy, it, it you know, begs the question, well, so if, if being authentic is such good business, why do some people show up not authentically, but rather as a... Um, uh, I guess the correct Latin term would be phonus balonus, uh, <laughs> you know, not authentically. And we might default to the answer, well, they're just dishonest or they're crooked or they're trying. Again, it's a big world out there. There's all sorts of people, but I don't think that's usually it. I think most of the time when someone does not show up authentically, it has more to do with the fact that they simply don't have self-confidence enough to do so. Because let's face it, it's really difficult to show up authentically when you don't feel you have anything worthwhile or worthy of uh, showing up for. That's the worthiness issues you, you also talk about. And so- yeah, For you guys um, listening and watching, I hope you see the parallels between my prosperity work and Bob's go-giver principles and like, like the worthiness issues. I mean, yeah. that's like 90% of the, mm -hmm. the stuff that I'm dealing with, with the people I'm coaching is they, 
were programmed since they were three years old, that they were born a sorry sinner. And they've just had nothing but that kind of programming ever since. And they can't allow themselves to be healthy, happy, and successful. Because if they do, they go through this whole imposter syndrome and they think they're a fraud. Yeah. And it's, you know, and because it's unconscious, that's a tough thing. Cause we, you know, we can't improve upon what we don't recognize. Right. Yeah. And that's why the unconscious is, 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 that's why it's so insidious because we don't know. And until someone's ready to learn, they're just not gonna, you know, there's just not that awareness. You know, I think that when we talk about, you know, having the self-confidence, uh, I think as human beings, we have two types of value. That we that we bring okay I, at first there's intrinsic value in other words just from being a human being I, I think we bring value but we also have what I call market value and I define market value as that combination of strengths traits talents and characteristics that allows you to bring value to add value to give value to the marketplace in a way that you will be financially rewarded Different people have different, I, I think Mike Littman was the one who coined this phrase, assets of value. And the challenge with trying to, with knowing what those are, is that we're human beings and we're too close to ourselves, right? Yeah. And we, you know, I, I say to people, and I'm 61 years old right now, there's times I still look in the mirror and see that skinny 16 year old who had absolutely no confidence. And, you know, <laughs> I, I still see that guy, you know, uh -huh. and so, you know, we all do at times. And so it, it's difficult on an emotional level sometimes to recognize that, well, let's put it this way. I, I, there's times I've been uh, mentoring someone or coaching someone and just uh, informally, because I, I don't generally do that on a formal basis, but um, where the person's told me what they're, what they're doing. And I said, wow, that's fantastic. That's, that's great. And they, their response was, oh, no, no, every, everyone can do that. And they weren't being falsely modest. I'm not talking about that. They mm -hmm. really didn't see it because it's just what they do. Right. Now, it may have come intuitively to them, or, or they may have worked hard at it, probably a combination of both. But it's so much part of their world, they don't see that they bring something special to the table. That's why Randy people undercharge a lot of times yeah they allow themselves to be negotiated on price and they start playing the low price game and you know when you sell on low price you're a commodity when you sell on high value you're a resource but you've got to have that confidence in yourself to be able to uh help someone understand the benefits of what you bring the value of what you bring and why that's worth that higher price than what you know uh, some other person is, is offering it for. So uh, that's why it's so important to, you know, to have a coach or a, a mentor or your, your, your or someone who cares enough about you and knows you well enough to help you work on understanding and grasping and identifying with and embracing your value. But they're not so emotionally involved or emotionally close to you that they also can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. So I think that's important. Yeah, you need somebody that loves you enough to tell you the truth, somebody who has your highest value at, at heart, because not everyone does. There are going to be some people who they'll tell you the truth as they see it, but they've got petty jealousies or other factors coming in, or they're 
fearful that if you become too successful, you'll take away their excuse for not being as successful. Right. <laughs> and so they, and they don't do it intentionally. Usually it's usually subconscious. Mm -hmm. They kind of sabotage you in a way that when that, that is disguised as trying to help you. So uh, that's a really important thing. And then like Bob is telling you now that, you know, they can't be so close to you that like those mothers who send their kids to, so you think you could dance an American Idol or, you know, talent shows when they have absolutely no talent in that area and they're just set up for a complete disaster. But the parent thinks that they're doing them, they're protecting their child by telling them they're an amazing virtuoso and they're a train wreck, right? You know, they so they probably do think that about their child. They're so close. They can't, yeah. you know. You know, isn't my child the smartest you've ever seen? You know, and yeah. So obviously, this these the laws of go giving are really good for salespeople. They're really good for business people, but it's not really business. How how would you? How much of this would you just put in the personal growth category? That in other words, anybody who read this book how it would apply to their health and their relationships and their happiness. Well, I think any universal law, of course, translates across the board. So when we look at success and the different areas of success, there's, there's success in terms of financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, and probably a dozen other ways. And, you know, if you look at that, you're, you're focused on, on the giving of value, focusing on bringing value first, don't you do that in every relationship that you want to be successful in? Now, again, you don't do it out of a sense of sacrifice or anything like that. You do it because it's the right way to do it. When you're looking to to lose weight, you know, you don't you don't uh, say, okay, well, once I lose 20 pounds, then I'll start eating correctly and working out. No, <laughs> you have to give first. You start working out and eating correctly. You know, so I, I think it's the same with with anything. That's also why we had a component in that book. Uh, about Joe and Sue's relationship, uh, because we also wanted to kind of, even though it was a business book and the publisher's a business publisher, we also sort of wanted to show that it works in those areas as well. So um, yeah, and we've got, you know, we've had different people. We've had families say they use the book as a family discussion, family teaching. Uh, we've had it in, you know, um, uh, athletic teams and, and uh, houses of worship and, you know, everywhere, it could, I don't know, everywhere, but a lot of different places where it's not simply a dollars and cents business type of. Yeah, uh, it's really turned into a movement around the yeah. world, the whole goal giver movement. And I'm, I'm really excited about the latest book in the series, which is the go giver influencer. And when, when Bob sent me like a galley proof and right away I said, this is going to be, the one that sells more than a million copies. This book is gonna storm the world because I think there's such an insatiable demand for that. Um, I, you know, I do this major event every year called Tribal and the people come to that are speakers and authors and coaches and consultants and political leaders and they're people who want more influence. and. Even if you're in the corporate world, if you're working at IBM or Hewlett Packard, you want to know, how do I have more influence in my job? If you're running a Boy Scout troop or Girl Scout troop, you want to know, how do I have more influence with my kids? If you're 
uh, uh, running a nonprofit and you're running a home for unwed uh, llamas, you want to know, how can I have more influence to track people to this cause and help support the work I'm doing? Um, so I, I'm just big, big, I, I love the whole series, but that book, I think I'm the biggest fan of that book. Thank you. Uh, share some thoughts on that for someone who hasn't read it and, and why they need to, cause I'm telling you now, if you're, if you're listening or watching this and you haven't got the go giver influencer yet, you got to do it before the sun sets. Mm -hmm. Um, so give them some idea why, what that book can mean to them, if you would, please. Sure. And of course, you know, John David Mann uh, is the, he's the writer of the team. You know, he's the storyteller. I'm, I'm a how-to guy. Not that John isn't a great how-to guy. He is, but he's such a wonderful writer. So, and, and I think he just exceeded himself uh, in, in this one. And this is really, this is our favorite book in the, in the series. And the Go-Giver Influencer, in a nutshell, it's being able to get the results you want when dealing with people in such a way that not only do both parties come out ahead, but Doing it in such a way, Randy, that the other person feels genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. And you know, as important as, again, we talk about sales skills and technical skills. Yeah, they're very important, but they're just entry into the game. Okay, there's a lot of people with talent out there. And sometimes, you know, we say, well, there's not enough. To yeah, there is. There's a lot of talent out there. A lot of people yeah. are really good at what they do. Yeah. Um, but unless you have the people skills, you're only gonna go so far. On the other hand, uh, when you are able to work with people in a way that's constructive and in a way that is influential, and I wanna come back to that word, now you're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. So if we ask the question, what is influence, right? Uh, you know, you and I are always checking premises and always, always defining terms. Um, on a very basic level, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Now, that's the definition, but I don't believe that's the essence of influence. The essence of influence is pull. Pull as opposed to push. We've all heard the saying, how far can you push a rope? And the answer is not very far, at least not very fast or very effectively. And that's why great influencers don't push. Uh, you never hear people say, "Wow, that David or that Mary, she is so influential. She has, she has, she has so much. She has a lot of push with people, right? I mean, she is so pushy. We don't. No, of course not. They'd say she's very influential. She has a lot of pull with people. That's what influence is. It's pull. It's an attractiveness." Uh, Great influencers, who we would call genuine influencers, attract people first to themselves and then to their ideas. This is what the greatest leaders do. This is what the greatest influencers do. And you have to ask the question, okay, so what causes that pull? What allows you to attract someone? And again, this goes back to that moving from that eye focus to the other focus. Dale Carnegie, in his classic How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I love that book. I believe the underlying premise of that entire book is where he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. So the genuine influencer always asks themselves questions to make sure their focus is correct, okay? And some of these questions might be, 
how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their goals? With their That's goals? such a simple question that almost nobody ever thinks about. Say that again, please. Um, yeah, well, the, the, the genuine influencer would ask the question, you know, how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their goals? with their wants, with their needs, with their desires. How, how does, how does what, I'm, what I want this other person to do, how does it align with their values? How does it align with the problems they have that they would like to solve, okay? And so when we ask ourselves these questions intelligently and thinkingly and genuinely and authentically, you know, not as a way to manipulate another human being into doing our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process, now we've come a lot closer to earning that person's commitment as opposed to depending on some type of compliance. We're both fortunate enough that we're old enough that we got to meet people who influenced us personally. Um, and I think of, for me, a big, you know, one of my highlights was spending time with Augmandino. Oh. and Zig Ziglar. And I know Zig, Zig was really a big impact with you. What, uh, can you share anything about yeah. Zig and, and, and what that's, what he meant to your life or your oh. career? Yeah, I mean, I love that you, you bring that up. Um, his was the first, uh, let's talk about age here. Um, his, was the, his was the first, um, cassette tape program I listened to. That's a, <laughs> that's one step above an eight track tape, Randy. Cassette tapes. Remember those? Oh, uh, uh, you don't have to ask me. <laughs> Some of you guys watching the show are going to have to Google it. <laughs> Not Google, me. Right. Something we never knew about back then. <laughs> cassette tape albums. That's what they were called, right? And that was the first one I ever listened to. And he gave me so much information. I would put that in the car and I just listened to it over and over and over and over again. I just kept listening to it. And his, his how-to was wonderful, his why-to, his, his just how to be a person. And he just had these wonderful sayings, which when you, you, know, you think about it are so true. When he said, um, uh, when he said and, and this is so often misquoted, and I hate that it's misquoted all the time, but it always is. It, it's when he said, you see, you can have everything in life you want uh, if you're just helping up other people get what they want. And what was he saying? Focus <laughs> on creating value, on bringing value, on communicating value to the other person, and your needs will be taken care of, right? Because money is an echo of value. You know, so, so yeah, it was so, and then I got to, of course, meet him. And I actually, at the event we did, remember you spoke, when you spoke at, at uh, the event, I think you spoke with Dr. John Maxwell. And, yeah, yeah, and, in Florida, uh, yeah. Mary, uh, Wilkerson. And uh, so the year before that, we had our, because we used to have those every year. We had them once a year. And we had Zig at the, the previous one before that in Orlando. And he was on stage, you know, the, the last couple of years of Zig's life, of course, he had very uh, bad short-term memory uh, issues because he had fallen down the stairs and he hit his head. So the last couple years, his daughter, Julie, or his son, Tom, would be on stage with him to kind of help keep him on track. Uh, and it's such a credit to Zig that he did that because he wanted people to see him operating out of that context. Oh, mm -hmm. my, I, that, how much? And so on this particular day, his son, Tom, and the redhead, Mrs. Ziegler, we're oh, both right on stage with them. 
The right? redhead. <laughs> yeah, and I got to uh, I got to imitate Zig in front of Zig, and it was just oh, so, such a uh, an honor to do that. But uh, Mrs. Ziegler told me afterwards that it was the only time in Zig's entire career she was on stage with him. I thought, isn't that cool? At our but here's the thing. After they got off the stage, they took about an hour, and they would have stayed longer, but they took as much time as was needed, it turned out to be about an hour, to sign autographs. But not just that, they, they engaged with people, and they hugged people, and they answered questions for people. And I got more emails after that event, okay, saying that that was the highlight that the Zigglers were exactly the same off stage as, you know, as, as Zig is on stage and what you would expect. That he was really just a quality, quality guy. And, and again, you and I got to meet and appear on stage with so many of the legends. And, uh, you know, what? It, it's always a thrill. I'm kind of like a fanboy or whatever. You know, it's like I just think of some of the people I've gotten to share the platform with. Uh, and it's like, wow, I can't believe that still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who, uh, who else would, was a, an influence on you, somebody that really impacted you that, uh, and what did that mean for you? Uh, Tom Hopkins certainly Tom. was, um, he, what a wonderful guy too. And, and people like Brian Tracy, uh, and, um, he's so much wisdom. Oh my gosh. Just a guy who studied and learned and wow. And I remember, you know, he, he was really such a, a cool person. I mean, I remember one time I was like, and I was in the Atlanta airport. It was about midnight and I had just come back from a program and it was the, the, uh, the connecting flight back home. And I looked like a mess. I mean, I was just, I was, you know, beard growing. <laughs> it seemed like I had a full beard. It was one day, you know, <laughs> unshaven and hair looking and, and I'm just kind of drooping. And, and who do I see? Brian Tracy walking. I'm telling you, Randy, the guy looked perfect. Yeah. I mean, clean shaven, his hair looked great, his suit looked pressed. Yeah. Said, how do you do that? How, you, know, how, you can't look this good right. at midnight as you're coming back from your own program. But, you know, mm -hmm. it's just Brian. And <laughs> yeah, Nito Cobain's the same way. Nito, Nito is where you see what a, Yeah. What he a just looks guy. like he rolled out of a GQ photo shoot. You know? Exactly. What a leader he is. You know, he, the, for, for this guy, and, you know, he came over penniless without speaking English uh, and, and just took responsibility for his life and built up a, a huge empire. Now the last, what is it, 15 years or 10 years or something, he's now the uh, president of, of High Point University. Yeah. Took Doing that amazing. from a struggling university to one of now the top. And I mean, yeah, owns a chain of bakeries and a bank. And I mean, he's done just extraordinary for himself and just a wonderful guy. And a nice guy, the, just the greatest. And, you know, he always has a kind word to say. Oh. Uh, you know, you, when you're with Nito, you kind of feel really like he is so totally focused on you. And, uh, and I've never written him a note when he did, where he didn't write a nice note, handwritten note back. I mean, he's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. So tell the story. I'm assuming you were probably in uh, Borneo or uh, <laughs> a, a mountaintop in India with oh, yeah. Don David Mann, and you were smoking some magic mushrooms, and the concept of the Go Giver happened. How did that, how did that come about? Where did that come from? Yeah, it wasn't quite as exotic as that, <laughs> but um, so. Randy, my, my first book, which was, which came out in its first, uh, incarnation in the nineties, it, it, it's now been, I think, revised a few times, but, uh, was 
endless referrals, networker, everyday contacts, and sales. And it was really for salespeople and entrepreneurs who, you know, they may have had a great product or service. They believed in what they did. They understood the value they brought. But when it came to going out and meeting people and prospecting and developing relationships, it just wasn't, you know, something they felt comfortable with. So I wrote the, the book, Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. Now, this was back in the day, again, where there were like three networking books that were written. Right? And now, and, you know, and that book was one of the iconic no, classics. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and the book and the seminar and the album. I mean, there are millions of people who would reference that, like you do Zig Ziglar or yeah. I do Augmentino. Wow. You did, I mean, you really, you reached a lot of people with that. Oh, thank you. Um, and you know, it was a how-to book and, and, uh, throughout the years, I'd always loved reading parables, right? And, uh, everything from, well, from Og's book, that was my first parable, Og's book, the, the greatest salesman in the world, right? We all started with that in, in sales. Uh, and then of course, uh, Klassen's richest man in Babylon and all of those. And then, uh, the, uh, was at the end of the 70s, early 80s, Dr. Spencer and Johnson, the one minute manager. It seems like that's about when that came out. Yeah, and I'd always probably. read them. And what I loved about parables was, of course, they were short. They were to the point, but they were stories. And stories connect with people. You know, there's an old saying, and like many old sayings, it's kind of true, but not totally true. <laughs> and the saying is, uh, facts tell, stories sell. Well, that's not totally true. I, and, and John David Mann is the one who, who told me this, and I, I just love this. Stories connect. Now, once you have the connection, that heart-to-heart -heart connection, now the selling can happen, right? But yeah. one of, So one of the things I loved about parables was I could read them, and there was a, I connected with them, and I was much more able to learn from them. I thought, what if we could take the basic premise of endless referrals, which again is that all things being equal, people will do business with, refer business to those people they know, like, and trust, and turn that into a parable. So I said, well, so what's the major characteristic of a person who's able to both quickly and sustainably build those know, like, and trust relationships? And the answer is they're givers. They're, they're always giving. They're giving value to others. Their focus is on bringing value to others. And they build a huge network that day of buyers and, and referrals. And so, so Came, you know, it's easy kind of to come up with the name the go-giver, which, by the way, a lot of people think is the opposite of a go-getter, but it's not. We love go-getters. Go-getters get things done. Right. Uh, you know, you and I both, and everyone watching this and listening, uh, we're all business people. We know you can have the nicest thoughts, best ideas, and the greatest of intention, but unless action is put into the mix, nothing's going to happen. So uh, we love go-getters, people of action, and go-givers, people who are focused on bringing immense value to others. So the opposite of a go-giver then is actually a go-taker. That's the person who feels entitled, the world, word I couldn't think of earlier, who feels entitled to take, take, take without having added value to the person, the process of the situation. So, so came up with the name the go-giver, but here's the best thing I did in terms of this, this entire book. I called my friend John David Mann, who at that time, by the way, I had never met uh, personally, oh, but he was uh -huh. the editor-in-chief of um, networking times, uh, remember that? Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was always just so great when he would edit my articles and he was brilliant and everybody who knew John knew he was brilliant. And 
but the way he would edit the articles, because, you know, sometimes you say, because you, you, you've written so many articles, uh, the editor will sometimes, you know, leave our best stuff on the cutting room floor, you know, then they don't ask, right? But John would always, every month, he'd write back exactly what he did, and he asked, you know, is this okay? And what, you know, and the running joke became, I just almost automatically answer him, John, not only is it okay, you write my stuff better than I write my stuff. And just such a great guy. But when, when I knew that writing a parable was not in my, and, and John Maxwell explained the difference. He said, it's not that it was outside my comfort zone. I'm okay with operating outside my comfort zone, but it was outside my strength zone. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know what? I want John David Mann to, to be the co-author, lead writer, storyteller. So basically I got on the phone and I asked, and when I say asked, I mean pleaded with mm-hmm. John to, uh, to co-author this and you know he 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 checked with uh what he who he calls his higher power that would be anna his wife mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and and you know then actually they came down they were visiting her mom in tampa across the uh the state from me they actually drove over about four hours we had a three-hour dinner talking about the book what it would be about and you know what we kind of envisioned for it and then he called me back a few weeks later and said you know i think we have a good idea here Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and that's so, so that was really, um, so that, that's really how that first book uh, came about. Yeah. What year was that? How long ago? It, it came out December 27th, 2007. So it actually 2008 is, okay. is for all intents and purposes. So it's about 11 years, uh, 11 years old now. Yeah. Wow. So since I'm doing a uh, long form Tim Ferriss style uh, I was thinking, I was podcast just thinking that here, too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he always asks his people, hey, okay, if, if you could have a billboard and you could put anything on it, what would it be? Uh, you got, what would you tell Tim if he asked you that? <laughs> oh, boy. You know, it's a, it's a great question. It's one that should, it, it's one that you would think that, that it should just boom, come, you know, come right off the top of my head. Uh, but I would say that if you can, if you can, if you can focus on dealing in truths, you're always in the right direction, because it's not a matter of what we would like the world to be, or what we like people to be, or what should be, or what's not fair. Okay, it's that there are certain rules of nature both physical nature and human nature. And we disregard those at our peril. Now, don't get me wrong, for anyone listening, that's not, I'm not saying we have to just accept things the way they are. That's not, not it at all. But you first have to deal with truth in order to make changes and make things better. And you know, I would say it's sort of like the people who, who invented flight. Right. You know, they didn't say, well, you know, we'd really like to have, have this machine to, to, to fly. But these this gravity thing is really a, a you know, a, a pain. But I'm just going to have a positive mental attitude and just ignore gravity. So let's go on top of a cliff and jump off with this machine. Well, obviously, I'd be insane. Right. Yeah. So, no, what they did is they dealt in truths and they learned physics and they learned the laws of aerodynamics and they learned how to write and then they yeah. utilize those truths in order to propel them to make things better so that would be that one thing learn to deal in truths uh not not in the way you would like things to be 
All right. So the first book was The Go-Giver. Endless mm-hmm. Referrals is probably still out there in the universe all over the place. Yeah. The Go-Giver Influencer is the latest one. And mm-hmm. you really got to get the first one and the latest one for sure, everybody. It's uh, Amazon and anywhere books are sold. It's Bob Berg, B-U-R-G, <laughs> with John David Mann, M-A-N-N. Um, tell people where they, where's the best place to reach you? Yeah, they could either go to Berg, as you said, B-U-R-G.com, or they can go to The Go-Giver, without the hyphen, thegogiver.com, and they can get a chapter one uh, in an excerpt, whatever, uh, to, to read first to see if they like it, then they can always uh, click through. And Twitter, Facebook, Insta, oh, what's yeah, the best yeah. place to uh, and, follow? And on the website, it shows how to click to me in all those places. So yeah, I'm on, on um, Twitter and Facebook and, and LinkedIn and, and have kind of started with, with Instagram now over the last six months. I was a, a late adapter or a doctor, whatever, to that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, not always, uh, I'm not always the one with the foresight. You know, I was the guy in the 90s who said this internet thing will never actually take off. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> And, and for you guys listening, he really does engage on social media. So he's a good guy to connect with there. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of your work, a big fan of your books and David as well. And uh, I, I, there's so many similarities, so many parallels in the, the principles of prosperity, the laws of go-giving. Uh, I just thought it'd be really great to have you spend some time with my tribe. And I'm really uh, grateful that you did. Well, thank you. And likewise, and you know, you're one of my heroes and mentors and teachers and best friends and everything. So I'm just, I'm just delighted to be your guest. All right. For all you guys listening and watching, go out there, have an amazing day. Love you all. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, Let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity Podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture. Uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.